Meanwhile, back at the retreat. Gather round, gather round. I want each one of you to give your old captain one point to improve on. I know, I know, you might be thinking how to improve upon perfection, right? But dig deep. There must be something that our dear captain could do better, right? Come now, Deanna. As ship's counselor, you can begin. Well, Captain. Come on, Deanna. Sometimes I think that when people are speaking, you could sometimes... Nothing. Oh, <laughs> you're not trying hard enough, Deanna. Commander Worf, what about you? Captain, I find these exercises to be an unnecessary distraction from duties. Your sense of honor must put me at a disadvantage somehow. All right, Captain. I often... I find you, Mr. Wolf. Your old captain's going to get a swollen head after all. How about you, Commander Riker? Well, Captain, it's hard to critique you, even though I'm Will Riker. But I know my number one too well. Never wanting to step on his old captain's toes, right? Now, what about you, young Crusher? You, you must have something to say, right? Captain Picard, I think your sandwiches are a little dry. And and you won't even be my dad. Shut up, Wesley. It's time for Season 3, Episode 3 of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. This episode, The Survivors. And it's coming at you right about now. So everyone who's been, been sitting at home going, man, I wonder, can we get a full-length recording of that version of the theme? And the answer is no. No, it'll never happen. Um, I think, you, you know, uh, you know, on some of these shows, these radio shows where they give you a special gift and, and do like a voicemail message for you. We could do these outgoing messages for people, and, and you do the you could do the announcer's voice. Yeah, let's do one right now, and I will do the uh, Star Trek theme song in the background. Okay, but it's live, right? <laughs> you reached five, 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 five. Saul is not here right now to take your call, but if you leave a message. He'll get back to you faster than an Aldebaran Swift thing that goes fast. <laughs> I'm sorry I can't come to the phone right now. I'm getting my Targ spade. Leave a message and I'll get back to you as soon as it heals. Welcome to STT and G's Not Another Star Trek podcast. Holy crap, it's season three. Just when you thought already, yourself, just when you thought to yourself, these guys are gonna do things like spend time with their families and friends, or maybe like find hobbies. You're wrong. We're back with episode three, season three. This 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 little episode, what's this little episode called? The Survivors. And that is my good close personal friend, Commander Davy Dave. And with him, as always, is Admiral Andrew. Huh. Ambassador, we've only been doing this for fifty fucking. I know. I was trying to change your rank. Okay, man. thank you, thank you. <laughs> Ambassador Andrew, he's he's ambassadoring our hearts. I am making a welcome 
path for you to immigrate into the land of SDTNGs, not another Star Trek podcast. And what I was hoping is my delightful colleague could maybe, you know, commence the festival by uh, giving us what do you call that uh, a synopsis of this exciting episode. Commander? Our Enterprise D gets a distress call from Delta Rana 4. 4, 4, 4, And when they get there, they find the planet wiped clean of its inhabitants, mm. save one small swatch of land oh, yeah? and a house where the last two inhabitants have survived. Wow. I wonder what, what so what, what's next? What's Before Picard and crew can say, what the fuck is going on here? Counselor Troy is stricken with a musical melody that she just can't get out of her head. I didn't see that coming. And away team goes planet side to assess the last patch of Delta Rana, and they find Kevin and Rishon Uxbridge. Uxbridge. And they're just trying to live, man. The Uxbridges give our crew the runaround while the mental assault on Troy threatens to destroy her mind. Mine, 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 mine. Just as all of this is happening, a big-ass enemy ship maybe the one that annihilated the planet, rolls up on the Enterprise. Holy Hannah! Shit is actually happening! Galaxy-class drama is happening right in front of our weary eyes! This one has it all, Commander. You got some ship fights, you got some tricorder action, an actual away team mission. I know! You got a new dress for Troy? You got some good guest actors? Yeah. Some comfy-looking furniture? And you know all that's missing? A logical... What? Fucking plot. That's all that's missing. A logical <laughs> plot. Do you think it is the plot or is it is it the telling? I mean, is it it's not plotless. It's just told in a weird way. Well, it's just that there's a plot hole so huge you could drive a galaxy class starship through it. You, you you wouldn't even have to turn around, make a stupid U-turn in space again. You could just like fly right through that giant plot hole. It <laughs> it just once once you get to that point, you're like, oh man, I wonder what's going on. I wonder what's going on. You get to the plot hole and you're like, really? It takes the air out. Let's just say that. It just, it just, you, you, you realized you've just spent like 48 minutes on something that could have been over in three. Do you, when you say take the air out, do you mean something like this? Oh, that sounds refreshing. I unfortunately am without a canned beverage and I'm simply using my giant water bottle. Oh, how can this be? We're like 52, 53 episodes into this. Mm. And now you're going to be now you're going to try to save the environment after all these episodes. Oh, no, the environment's doomed. I just uh, I've been too busy to actually order something from the store and have it delivered. So, yes. OK, <laughs> it's just that kind of life. So let's here we go. It starts off <sighs> as so many of these episodes do. And if we had been paying right. attention, you may remember at the beginning of this show, we said we were going to start keeping track of certain numbers. Right. Like how many times Who Picard we did. We were going to keep track oh, of like okay. how many times Picard said engage and shit like that. And that, that went oh, out right. the window as soon as like the third episode or so. <laughs> well, that went out the window when we started realizing how goddamn hard it is to edit the episodes and script. We actually, believe it or not, script some uh, notes before we do this. And, and, and then we actually have sound effects. And then we have to plan to, to fit this into our actual schedules in our, in our regular lives. And so we, we, we had to lose something along the way. And the, the, what we lost was the counting. But here we go with, with the upteenth. Here, this is, a, this is the number I'm going with. The upteenth distress call. They go to, uh, speaking of, of numbers, Delta Rana 4. 
And the planet is all just like destroyed and shit, Dave. It's muffed up. Hey, can I ask you something about this whole Delta Rana thing? Yeah, sure. When they say Delta Rana 4, does that mean it's the star is Delta Rana and it's the fourth planet from that star? That is correct. That is my understanding. So when we use a, when we use a number on these planets, it's like, yeah, so that we mean this is the fourth planet That's from correct. the sun. So we are, we are technically, Rana. we are technically sun three. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The sun doesn't have a name. We just call it the sun, which is soul, which is really soul. Soul. S O L. How do you say that? Soul three. They say, hey, let's go check this. This is crazy. Look at this. There's this patch of land here. Everything else is destroyed. What do you think's going on? Right. There's a patch of land. What do you, What do you think we should do? And they decide they're going to beam an away team, an actual away team. They're going to beam them down to Malibu. Number one, get on your get on your speedos. You're going to the beach this time. It's funny because when they roll up on this planet, the first thing you see is like deserty kind of destruction. And I was watching it going, what what's happening? Like, I can't see what's happening on the screen. I didn't understand that what we were looking at was a destroyed planet. I just saw I thought we were looking at a desert planet. We didn't see ruined cities or pockmark. You know, no, no, you just or, saw a desert like they were in uh, a Joshua tree or right. something like they were going on a nice desert retreat. Number one, come over here. Look down here. Look at this planet. What do you see? It, 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 it's flipping Tatooine. <laughs> but then they discover like a little piece of Malibu. There's a little piece of Malibu. Right. A square, man. Like, like an oasis. And then before you know it, the away team, they actually go outside, Dave. We've been outside and, you know, set outside so far because we're on, we're on episode three. Last episode, they were outside, but it was on a soundstage. And now we are actually in real Earth sky space outside. Which, An actual location. Which really, I get always get so excited about that. It's such a big deal on this show. I think the last time we went on location was when uh, Picard was riding a horse around uh, Thousand Oaks, wasn't it? Jumping those crevasses. As as one does. So, so they go down there to Malibu and they find this uh, nice little retirement condo. And they find two retirees, <laughs> Kevin and and Rashawn. Kevin and Rashawn, please. Oxbridge, the Oxbridges. So I got to tell you one thing, though, I noticed in this episode, and this is huge, and I mean huge to me, is that we okay. have turned a corner on uh, Next Generation Furniture because for the first <laughs> time, okay. so Kevin and Rashawn actually have some very nice comfy looking furniture it's like a little overstuffed it looks fluffy it doesn't look painful yeah and then when troy is knocked out and and in bed she actually has like a pillow pillow i am very excited about this yeah you know a couple episodes back we talked about how the show's really shifted with the clothing you know we we got some new uh, a little looser fabrics on our cast Mm -hmm. and and now they've kind of moved on to the upholstery yeah and 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 again this is the third episode in a row where we see folks wearing that kind of uh what looks like banana republic in the uh 24th century here and they have clasps <laughs> instead of buttons yeah at some point between now and the 24th century buttons go out the window you notice that the starfleet uniforms no buttons if anything they have badly concealed zippers now we're just seeing nothing but clasps it made me wonder what Worf would do with these things like if he had to put on these kind of clothes because last season and the season before we saw that Worf didn't know how to open like our century doors and push our century buttons when he came across an elevator from the (laughs) 20th century 
I just wonder what Worf would do with these clasps. Well, I think he'd be fine with the clasps. I think he'd, be, he'd probably have issues with like buttons. I, I want to see an episode where they have some hooks and eyes or something. Or some, like, didn't the Bryn Lodi, <laughs> didn't they have rope belts? I don't know. They that um, Brenna needed a belt to hold up her <laughs> pants. I mean, they're practically falling down. I don't know if you remember. I'm that. sure. Oh, I remember. I'm sure Worf is into rope belts. He seems like a rope belt kind of guy. Here you go, Captain. I just finished braiding this myself. <laughs> don't be put off by the scent of it. It's it's made for my own hair. That's why he grows. That's why he starts growing that ponytail yeah, right. later on in the series. He's making ropes for his family. Deanna, when we date. I'm going to give you the traditional Klingon rope hair belt. So so I'm glad you actually brought up yes. Admiral Jameson and his, his wife, Annie, with the golden hair. What the hell is this? I Mark know. Mark Jameson and, and Annie Jameson. Because I'll never forget one him. One of the things we noted in that episode, Too Short a Season, was how those two, they seem to have no idea how old people acted, especially Mark Jameson, right? I mean, it's like, did, have you never seen well, a grandpa before? Do you not know what a grandpa does or looks like? And he's just like walking yeah. around like, and he's got that big ass chair. In and the actor's defense, the actor was, you know, now he's an old man probably, but at the time he was like a 20 something year old young actor that they aged up with a bunch of latex. And then the other, the actress, Annie was an actual old person. So, I mean, she knew what she was doing, but this guy, it's not his, uh, I guess what I was trying to say is it's not his fault. Nobody was directing this dude about what to do when you're old. Well, I wasn't blaming him. It just seemed to me that someone somewhere would go, Hey, you know, you know, mock, I, I don't remember the guy's name. But he's like, Mock, you know, I, I know some old people, and I got to tell you, they don't look like this. Why don't you and me go to Cantor's? Listen, have you ever listened to an old person before? Listen to this. It sounds something like this. It sounds like they got, like, hairballs. Hair Listen, my, can I tell you something about my, my hip? I'm thinking about having a hip replacement surgery. It's so interesting. And what's funny is I just had my knees done. Well, but these two, I mean... Kevin and Rashawn actually behave like real elderly people behave, right? <laughs> well, they're they're because they're actually yeah. elderly people. I understand that, they, but they're also right. written and directed like real elderly people. They are, and and actually, actually, um, to the credit of these two actors, they were aged up. I mean, they were actually like thirty years younger than they were supposed to be. They right, weren't. Right. They were in their fifties. They were supposed to be playing like eighties and seventies and eighties. Right, and that, that was of course That's supposed to go years, to Dave. the fact that people are more long. Uh, long lived in the future <laughs> and so you know they're aging slower early than i than know do. do you think that that was thoughtful yeah like that, that was purposeful i think so i think so well because i read this i read this idea too you know because we in our very first episode of tng we get mccoy oh, yes. yes letter mccoy comes on board treat her he, like a lady gives- and she'll always bring you home. <laughs> oh, it's my lung. Could you get that for me, boy? That's he <coughs> comes onto the ship. And it's his big send off, and it's it's his big send off. It's the last thing I think he does on Trek. They knew that it was possible that eventually they would bring back some of the original cast onto the show if it lasted long enough. And I think they were thinking, you know, DeForest Kelly was way older than everybody else. Right on that show so they had to shuffle his ass into that very first episode going you know what let's get let's get him in here right away just in case so he shows up as a like 150 year old 
guy, I guess, right. to see the new Enterprise off. I had mentioned before when we were meeting with Dave and Nicole and, and discussing the menagerie in our, our special in our first season that I actually saw DeForest Kelly at a movie opening okay. out here in silly San Diego. He had, And he wasn't looking too young and spry then. It wouldn't have needed that much makeup. <laughs> I got to think they maybe overdid a little bit to make him feel better about playing a really old, old guy because he looked he looked his age. Let's just say that. I mean, yeah, not he, bad, he, but the guy was right. like, you know, 125. Well, he wasn't incredibly healthy, and unfortunately for him and all of us, he wasn't able to be on the last uh, original crew movie because of his health right. and them not being able to insure him. So he wasn't able to, yeah, and which is too bad because I, I, I've got to think having more of the original crew on that movie would have made it better. So getting back to the episode, The Survivors... Okay. Oh, we're talking about Yeah, that. we're going back to so so I actually like this episode. I mean, I'm going to make huge fun of it uh at certain points, <laughs> but I actually like this okay. episode and one of the reasons I like it is because of John Anderson and Anne Haney. I think they're really I don't know, they're endearing in some way. Uh, it, you know, there's something about them that is is friendly, is accessible. They're they're fun right. to watch and I don't cringe every time they're on the screen the way i did with with mark and annie jameson well they feel like real people and in a lot of the season two episodes we had a lot of guests come on and and oftentimes we commented about how they just didn't feel real you mean season and one? these two people no no well like even last oh, season okay. we had our uh, uh okana and yes yes and, yes uh and you know, Piscopo and those fish and, and, and Deanna <laughs> Troy's mom and, you know, and just name a guest. And, and I, I don't like our primary cast is terrific, but a lot of times you get people that come on and it doesn't, they just don't feel like real people. And these two people for as weird and wacky as what's going on in this episode, they, they do feel like they're actual people. Well, and that where they are, you know, their little retirement condo in Malibu looks like an actual place people live. So all of this works. I mean, it's incredibly neat <laughs> on Earth. It, it's yeah, it's incredibly neat and clean because obviously, right? You know the the that Kevin probably like snaps his finger and keeps it really clean. It just looks like normal furniture. They're not trying to say here's what furniture is going to look like in the future, 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 future. In the future, pillows yeah. will hurt you. I definitely had grandparents that lived in places like this. You know, it, it looked it looked like a place from Earth. But then we get the gratuitous snare scene. How do you feel about the gratuitous snare scene? So the away team arrives and they're they're strolling up yeah. to the door, and suddenly Riker <laughs> is is ass over tea kettle. Yes, because of a snare, he's caught in a snare, and you, not and not like a drum snare, but an actual yeah, like a, thing like that a trap. You. Yeah, like a trap that you would right. use to trap animals. I don't know. The way I feel about this is that I feel like Riker should be smarter than to get caught in something like that, and. And I, I think it's you think about it like would would they put Captain Kirk in one of those things? <laughs> like you know, if he was because you know, he's sort of like the stand in for Kirk, at least on the earlier seasons. And and there's no way they would put William Shatner in a situation like this. And I and I don't know. I mean it's fun in the sense that they kind of goof around with Riker and I, I think he's kind of funny. What I did appreciate though, I gotta tell you, is that as soon as the, he gets snatched and it goes upside down. Yes. I thought, what if this was Worf? Like, it, right, it right, right, Worf. right, right, right. And so I was like, God bless it. It's not Worf in this situation, even though I don't believe that Riker should have been 
you know, snare. Right. Well, it really is. To, and to me, it was just like a callback to that one brace of episodes where it's like, let's electrocute him. Let's <laughs> let's know. dip him in tar. Let's freeze him in place. Let's, you know, everything they could do to fuck up Riker, they were doing. Yeah. And it's like they're in the back going like, hey, we hadn't fucked with Johnny Frakes in a while, huh? What do you what do you think? <laughs> we put him in a snare. What do you think of that? How, would you like to hang upside down for for an afternoon in Malibu, Jonathan? What do you think? It's like, oh, hey, I heard uh, this is my Jonathan Frakes imitation. Hey, I, it's good news. I heard we're going to go out to Malibu. That's going to be a lot of fun, really, to go out there and just relax. And yeah, that's great, Johnny. By the way, you're going to be ass over tea kettles in a snare. Anyway, I, you know, honestly, I, I do think it has to do with Jonathan Frakes being. Uh, uh, affable, uh, personable guy who wants to kind of get things done on the set. And, and we saw this in Skin of Evil. You yeah, know, sure. He was willing to jump sure. into the uh, into the pool, the black pool that was Armis and, and kind of get dirty for the production. And, and I don't know, I, this kind of stuff, I, I just wonder if it was them running crap by him early on, you know, when they're doing pre-production going, hey, how do you mind if you could hang upside down all afternoon? So 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 they go down there and they're like, okay, so your whole planet has been ravaged. Everything's gone. Everyone's gone. There's no way you're going to survive. Why don't you just climb aboard the Enterprise and we'll, you know, get the fuck out of here and everything will be cool. Right. And they're like, uh, no, no, uh-uh. no, Ma- Mark and I love our planet. It's totally decimated, but we're going to stay here. And the question is, like, why the fuck not? So so it's so frustrating that even Picard's got to come down, right? Like, even Picard, because, you know, we, we talked about this before, that when, when, when she know. gets ugly, Pappy Picard's got to come down, and he's got to square everything away. So this time he comes down, and they're still like, uh, no, no, we ain't going. Right. I don't know if you remember, Andrew, but last episode, they just sent data down right, to, right. to handle the people mm-hmm. on the service. And this time, that didn't happen. I mean, there was no, uh, apparently when you wipe out a whole planet full of people, there's no uh, radiation left behind. So it was all cool <laughs> for the rest of them to go down. Uh, but can you imagine if it was Data having to deal with these two? He'd be like, Jesus Christ, I just did this last episode. So it was it was Worf, it was Riker, it was Crusher. Was it Jordy also there? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and Data. And they just go right. down, and it's it's nice that there's a full compliment. I'm happy there's a full compliment. There's really not a lot for Geordi or Data to do. But even Picard can't. When Picard goes back down with Worf, he's like, yo, you know, you need hey. to come up here so we can, you know, GTFO, you know, deuces and get out of here. Come on, listen, listen. Come back up to the ship with us. We've got plenty of room up there. You'll love it. Yeah, my thing is, I don't think he's selling it well. I, I, I think Bacardi I needs to do a better job because he's just like, you don't want to stay here, right? But he does nothing yeah. about, like, you want to go here because... Uh, do you know what the hell a holodeck is? Have you ever heard of it? You can go back to New Orleans with, with Commander Riker and see his girlfriend. And you could go into a, a, a hard-boiled detective novel where you can turn all the settings off so you don't get shot by anyone. And there's ice cream coming out of the walls. You just go to the wall and say, <laughs> I would like an ice cream. And the tea. Don't forget the tea, number one. And there's a robot. Sell them with the tea. There's the most delightful robot that plays the fiddle. <laughs> all right. Yeah, don't forget. He's really he's really learning it. And what about the goddamn puppies on deck 22? Rishon, have you ever seen a goddamn golden retriever before? 
They're beautiful. <laughs> so meanwhile, they're, they're so they're so fucking gentle. <laughs> <laughs> so so very gentle. I can't. I can't. Well, this is just going pet on. the goddamn puppies, Rishon. It will be okay. Yeah, don't hold the puppies too hard, like Mister Wolf does. <laughs> we keep having to make new puppies. I, I, I'm sorry. I always pet them too hard. Hey, what do you think of Troy's uh, fancy new dress? There, what do you think of that? She's got a little. Uh... Yeah, she's she's wearing something new, and she'll she'll re- return to this outfit again. It, it's reoccurring. It's got a whole skirt thing going now. She's got this flowing skirt. It's like a whole like school marm thing going. It goes all the way down to the ankles. Maybe the great bird didn't think she was as foxy going into season three. You got to give her some creds. This episode, she really emotes like crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, she really does some dramatic work like to the extreme. I mean, she comes undone in this episode. Yeah. It, the reason she comes undone, dear listeners, is because there's a music box that that Kevin and Rashawn have. Data, open, Data. Data opens it up and it's like ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding. And then Troy starts to hear that. She's back on the ship and she starts like to your, hear that music. I like on her your recreation. Well, <laughs> And she can't get it out of her head. <laughs> yeah. There's data. How easy humans do that. And and she can't get it. It doesn't stop. She can't make it stop. It never stops. It's constantly going on oh. in her head and it starts to drive her crazy. Right. I don't know why she doesn't tell everyone immediately. Like, you know, does anyone else hear that tinkly song in their head all the fucking time? Right. But she doesn't. Well, it's weird because, I mean, it wouldn't have helped her with the trajectory of what happens in the story, but it is unlike a counselor to not take her own advice. I mean, the first thing she would have said is go see somebody and talk to them. Yeah, about right. Exactly. Try to get some help. And she doesn't do that. And she starts going mad. I mean, she's really losing it very quickly. And and actually, you know, again, with real emotions on this, where we're talking about these ox bridges, I really felt like she was coming undone. I mean, she really it it. It was tough to watch her having such a hard time in those scenes. Yes. Marina Sirtis does a lovely, lovely job in this episode. Unfortunately, it's because of this and not because of any other, you know, more more uh, relevant or driving plot point, especially because she's always so reserved on this show. You know, after the first episode where she was kind of goofy, you know, later episodes, she becomes more and more kind of reserved. And here she just like, goes to pieces and and also they don't use this i mean this is a very good actor and they don't they haven't created a role for her where she can do contemporary work with the rest of the people on the ship we're really happy to see in episode two the last episode that in ensigns that she was actually going on to an alien ship with captain picard and actually doing what she is supposed to be doing on this ship they just don't show her doing it enough It's like, oh, this horrible thing is happening to Counselor Troy while we have this mystery on the planet below. I'm sure they're not connected. No one even mentions a possible connection. It's like, gosh, she just started hearing music in her head. I wonder what that's right. about. Eh, fuck if I know. Let's just put her to it's sleep. nothing. Just take a Dramamine and go to sleep, Deanna. It's a phase she's Jesus going Jesus Christ, through. with your complaining. I, I, I mean, come on. You, you, you emote something and go to sleep already. Catherine McCart, sometimes I hear songs in my head and they won't go away. 
Am I oh. going crazy like Counselor Troy, Captain? Jesus Christ, Wesley. You're supposed to be the Mozart of space, time, and, and whatever, equilibrium or something. Uh, of course you're hearing shit in your head. But Captain, all I hear is this song over and over again about a, a boat. It goes like it's a love exciting and new <laughs> climb aboard I... captain it just won't go away we all hear that <laughs> it's playing in our heads all the time set a course for adventure what does he say your eyes on a new road my favorite line and love won't <laughs> hurt, hurt anymore. Why does love have to hurt so much, Riker? <laughs> so, speaking of Riker, I mean, Riker never comes in to check on Troy. We just, at the end of season I, two, I in Shades of Grey, Troy's there yes. constantly while Imzadi is suffering. And this time, Riker, Riker's just like, yeah, I got to clean my own shitty cabin. I, I don't have time for this. I, I mean, she's literally crying on that dude in, in like four episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he he doesn't even show up. <laughs> oh, I will, I will live. <laughs> we'll live. Uh, uh, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm awake already. Stop <laughs> it. And meanwhile, Riker's like, so what's what's wrong, Troy? Uh, she hears a song in her head or something. Well, I gotta go. I got stuff. I gotta. I gotta I Sorry, gotta, Cap. What did you say is going on with her again? Gotta, she can't get the song out of her head. If you can believe that, <laughs> listen to this, Riker. I gotta practice my bone. <laughs> I have w- I have women playing the harp in my quarters at uh, 0600. I gotta go. I'll go check on her right after trombone practice with Minuet, if you know what I mean. There's a there's a new ensign over in uh, engineering. I need to I need to talk to her about some specification. Remember Ensign Gomez? Y'all forgot about her, right? I didn't. Well, the other thing that that gets me about the, yeah. it's going back to Shades of Grey. Remember, at some point, Riker is suddenly naked when they put him in that brain probe thing. I suddenly, know. he's naked. <laughs> now, the same thing happens to Troy. They put her in the bed, and she's having like problems right. with her head. And again, she appears to be naked. Whose job is it to get her out of her clothes? You know. And what, but is like, that some sort of medical prescription? It's like okay, step one to really any situation involving the brain, ladies and gentlemen, let's get him naked. Just get them naked. It it just makes it better for everyone in most cases. Can you imagine? It's like a nurse chapel. Get uh, quick. Get her naked. Stat. <laughs> does it, like who, who's taking off a person's clothes and putting them under a covers? It's weird. You know, one of those glowing. Remember those glowing sticks that they had like back in in right. season one? They were pointing glowing sticks and everything. They probably have one of those that take people's clothes off. I I mean <laughs> honestly, I didn't, I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it when Riker was naked, and I didn't think about it when Troy was because it's just either, natural so. for you. For those for those of you who don't know, uh, listeners, Commander Davy Dave is in fact a nudist and oh, records yeah. most of the uh, podcast episodes without pants. But yeah, it's it's uh, below the waist, sure. Yeah. So more importantly, Dave, you, you've been asking for this, you've been wanting this, you've been begging for this ship fight. Oh, ship thank fight. the maker, phasers and torpedoes, man. They go the I full know. spread, the whole, uh, what do you call that, Megillah, the whole nine yards, the whole collection of weapons. The whole have. arsenal, number one. Is this yeah, the most weapons I mean, they've, they've used so far? I mean, have they ever fired torpedoes and phasers at the same time? 
so I far? I don't think so. I mean, we've they've been very uh, sparing with their uh, discharges, and I think it's. <laughs> I think it's I think it's great to see this, and we were begging last season for more of this. You know, I don't know. We we, we talked about this a lot, where budget comes into play, uh, but still, I just don't know how much it costs for them to fire off these blasts at at nothing, basically, because that's what they're shooting. The thing's shooting into space; it doesn't hit anything. So it's like I'm willing. You know, I'm willing to put money that that shot of the port torpedo bay, because they actually use the port torpedo bay. Yes. comes from counter at Farpoint when we're right. unloading torpedoes at uh, Q when Q is chasing him as an energy ball, as you do, as you do. One of the things I was so concerned about on my first viewing of Farpoint, episode one, was when they showed the saucer sep. Yes. I don't know how much uh, uh, anime or early anime you watched, Andrew, in the 1970s, but one of the things that these animated cartoon shows would do would be, you know, they'd have really great animation compared to what was being produced in the United States, but they would recycle a lot of stuff. So you'd have these incredible robots and they would transform into something like, uh, you know, Ultron. I remember that. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's what inspired the transformers eventually, but, but the things that turn into other things and you have these really cool animations, but what would happen as a kid, you'd sit there and go, okay, this is the one they showed me every episode Around, you know, five minutes in, they're going to do this transformation. I'm going to watch, you know, like at least 30 seconds of recycled footage. Every kid knows this is happening. And this is what I was concerned about happening when we first saw the saucer set was there was this big dramatic thing. The saucer detaches from the battle bridge of the Enterprise and then it reattaches, which is basically the footage backwards. You know, it's like. (laughs) Oh, God. I mean, cool that it does that, but we're going to have to see this every episode. I thought that's what we we're going right. to do. And mercifully, mercifully, <laughs> the show has had so little action that there has been <laughs> very little reason to separate that saucer. Do you remember Filmation? They had a, a Tarzan yes. Batman hour and you would always get the same footage of Tarzan running at the camera yes. or or the same shot of Batman throwing his batarang and you know i i oh, i've seen these oh yeah the same thing with aquaman well the same thing with scooby doo the same thing with right. any basically any cartoon you have these stock scenes that they use right now, i don't know why it bothered me as much on Tarzan but anytime Tarzan had to go somewhere i was like ah oh, god damn it <laughs> here we go again I think they did, you know, like a rotoscope thing because it was very realistic when he was running towards the camera. But it's just recycled over. And oh over yeah, again. you saw that same fucking scene a hundred times. You know, and I love Hanna Barbera cartoons. One of the things they invented was this idea of creating templates that you could very easily kind of reuse. So you'd have things that in the frame that just didn't move much. And and I know a lot of people think these guys are geniuses, and and they had some really great cartoons. Don't get me wrong, but it really was like an economical solution to something that that ended up making, you know, these dudes really, really rich. Okay. Are you ready for the okay. big reveal? We find out that Kevin, Kevin okay. is not just an old man, but in fact, an entity. Oh, my God. Ding, 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 ding. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Entity alert. Entity alert. Did we finish talking about the fight? Yeah, we did. About uh, the ship fighting. We did. I don't know. Was that enough? I think so. 
right. Oh, the one thing I wanted to, I do want to say about the ship fighting is it it gives yeah. me unending pleasure to watch those phasers fire on that ship from the saucer section because I love the way the phaser energy like whips together like around that phaser ring. Yeah, that is cool. Okay, so the big reveal is that Kevin is not just Kevin. He's actually an entity called a Dowd. There's no doubt about it. Hello. Because the whole time Picard's like, there's got to be something going on here. And he does this thing that I didn't care for because in other episodes, they all need to go to the observation lounge and have a huge fucking conversation. Let's talk about it. Let's work this shit out, everyone. Come on. But here Picard's got a theory, and he just decides, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and play it out. You guys just do what I say, and don't worry about it, okay? And at no point does someone say, hey, you know, Johnny, it would probably be a good idea that you tell us uh, incredibly well-trained and specialized individuals what you're doing. Listen, number one, I know you're on pins and needles, but let me let this play out. I know there's 3,000 lives at stake on the ship, but let me just have, I, I, I fancy a little mystery every once in a while. Do you mind? But do you, do you, and, and by the way, I don't know if you're aware of this, number one, but we're on a drama, a 48-minute drama, and sometimes the captain doesn't reveal everything. And that's exactly what it is, which is why it's so damn frustrating. It's just tell him, just like, you know, tell him that you have music in your head. Tell him that you think that there's something more going on here and that Kevbot is actually like a doubt or something or some sort of like space creature. Come on. Do you think that Picard thinks that he's an entity? I don't know what Picard thinks because he doesn't tell us. <laughs> I know. He knows something is up. So this this massive ship comes and they have this space battle and they kind of chase the ship off to the edge of the solar system or they get away from the planet and they come back and, and Picard starts seeing a pattern in this behavior about what's going on. This other ship is all powerful. It's more powerful than the enterprise and it could clearly take them. And Picard's like, you know what? Uh, it's, it's a funny gamble. It's funnier than when Wes gambled on Worf's rite of passage ceremony yeah. where he took him into the holodeck and counted on the fact that he was having a rite of passage ceremony. Mr. Worf was being very grouchy and I just wanted to help him because I'm his friend. I know how to scratch a Klingon, a Klingon itch when they get him. <laughs> but this is the, the aforementioned huge fucking plot hole, right? Okay. Kevin, Kevin is so powerful. He's so powerful. Oh, Kevin's the plot hole. Kevin's Kevin is the, the plot, plot hole. hole. Man, he is a major plot hole. And what happens is we find out that they were attacked by some group called the Hoosnock. The Hoosnock. Hoosnock. And, yes. and, they, and Kevin doesn't like to fight. He is a man of principle. He's not going to fight. He's a, an entity of principle. And that's fine. That's actually charming and wonderful and refreshing because he's kind of the anti-Q, okay. right? He actually right. is is caught up in his feelings of, of shame and rage and stuff. I mean, he's he's got some dimension to him, but he waits till everyone is killed and then makes the Hoosnock go away. <laughs> couldn't you have done that when they were attacking or, or couldn't you have made yourself invisible to the Enterprise or 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 any other thing than what you've done? Uh, totally. And it when you watch the episode, you know, it's a surprise that this plays out like that. And you go, oh, my God, this is terrible. But then when you really think about it a little bit or you revisit the episode like we have and you say, well, geez, why did they tell this story like this? It, it again speaks to what's going on in this show where 
the idea of drama is so subdued. This Husnock race came to the planet, started killing the people on the planet, and there on that planet happens to be an entity, an all-powerful entity. And because he doesn't want to fight the Husnock, he says, no, I, I will not. I will not raise arms. I will not attack the Husnocks. So every flipping person on that planet dies in front of him, and then he gets upset. And so, well, when Rashawn gets killed, when a, Rashawn gets killed, everyone else can be getting killed left and right. You didn't so care his about wife that. Is, his wife is a fiction. Uh, his wife is a projection or a something that he's made up. That's a. Is, I mean, she's as real as anything he can make up. So she exists because he's willing her into existence. So he uses his all power to kill not only the attacking Hoosnocks, but every Hoosnock across the galaxy, right? So how many Hoosnocks is that? That's that's all of them. That's how, that's how many. Yeah, I, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't like a math quiz. They say like a couple billion Hoosnocks. It, it's weird because it, it kind of reminds me of this talk about the old show versus the new show that we're doing. And I really feel like if this drama played out in the old show, we would have seen, we would have been there for this to play out. And because and, and imagine this, like he still could have been the doubt and mm-hmm. we didn't know he was all powerful and we could have had. We could have had the Husnock attacking the planet and wiping them out and, and him, you know, being a pacifist and actually seeing it play out in front of us. And I know we're talking budget and all that stuff, but there's this weird way that they're subduing the drama. And, and instead of seeing something like really dramatic, because well, why wouldn't that be powerful if his own wife was going? Because Rashawn actually fights the Husnock. That's what she said. Right. And, right. and and then you, you could still have the same resolution. He could still destroy them and you could say have. Picard standing around going like, why the fuck did you do that, man? I think what frustrates me, too, is I'm still like really engaged with the idea of of Kevin the Dowd. The, the question is an interesting one. Is he right? Is he wrong? He stands by his beliefs. He's a pacifist because he has an enormous amount of power. He could really do some harm. But at the same right. time, you know, it costs billions of lives. Now, granted, this is not an either or proposition. He could be doing other things to make changes. But after seeing some of the entities we've had, like different indifferent entities, entities without names, entities, we had one entity come in here and try and judge us. But we found out it was actually Armas. I remember that. But my point is, we here's one that's actually conflicted and actually has feelings. If you live that long... How do you end up? Do you end up completely alienated? Do you end up completely immoral? It's a really interesting question, and they just kind of blow it. Right. Well, it's just, but it is a question that you wonder if, is this the right place to be asking these questions sometimes? And I think that we've been poking around with this idea in the first two seasons that the show is is trying to do things here, and it's trying to ask things sometimes. and. And like in this situation, like, is this a thing that even needs to be asked? Is there a person, you know, a genocidal maniac on Earth that needs to be somehow understood? What is this about? I mean, are are they commenting about gods? Are they commenting about genocide on a massive scale? I, I just don't I don't understand what the point of it is, like for a show that's trying to make these points. Well, I think it's it ends up being sort of a ham-fisted way to deal with an actually interesting question. Like, what if you had all this power, but you were a pacifist right. and you didn't want to, you know, uh, so so 11,000 people and worth cool, 50 billion, fine. you know, 
It's 50. They actually, it was 50 billion people, if you can believe it. 50 billion who snuck. But the 11,000 people are also dead. Right. So let's be clear about that. And again, it didn't have to be all or nothing. It could have just been, I'm, we're invisible to the who's knock. I've pushed the who's knock to the Delta Quadrant so they can fight the Borg. Right. You know, I've done all these different things to get rid of them. Instead, he kills them all. It just doesn't make any sense. And and plus, I mean, here's this thing, this entity that's supposed to be so all-powerful and so eternal. And his the way that he deals with this is so young. And it's like it's uninformed by any yeah. experience that he might have had from you know, before this. And I I understand like in the defense of this uh, script for anybody that's going to kick us for being too mean to this, they do explain that he had never fallen in love or allowed himself to fall in love before. So that is definitely the conceit that makes this stuff make sense. I don't know. It's, it's a lot. And especially for a show that's been so entity heavy. Right. Right. Then at the end we get this, the, resolution to this i think is weird you know the it reminds me of the jameson episode too short a season where picard has to come to terms with somebody that is on a a way uh lesser scale a villain oxbridge right Uh uh-huh uh he's kind of a genocidal maniac himself and picard's kind of coached him like you know there there it's okay and in here, he's here to the doubt. He's like, we leave behind a being of extraordinary power and conscious. Well, but I think that's I think that's it. He realizes that Kevin is not a genocidal maniac, but that he lost control. He lost control in a moment of passion because he's a right. being that wasn't used to passion, as he says. The first time he's fallen in love. I know this plot hole is here. Even when John Anderson has that moment where he talks about, you don't understand the scope of my crime. I killed them all. I mean, that's still a chilling moment because yes. he delivers it so well. He's different from every entity we've seen, right? Nagilam didn't care about killing. He was willing to kill a lot more. When Q's actions sure. have led to killing, he was like, well, you know, that's got to happen sometimes. Right. And here's, you win some, you lose some, man. Yeah, and here's an entity with a conscience. Now, right. again, it's a fascinating premise. Do more with it. Agreed, agreed. And I think that it would have been amazing to have them dig deeper into this in you know multiple episodes if they came across this doubt again. That scene when he reveals what he did is great. I don't want to take away from that by complaining about the way that they doled out the plot. It is a wonderfully done scene. I just think it could have been done with uh, more tension and more of you know a show of what was going on for them. But I, I just want to say this. Picard at the end, the way that they wrap this up, Picard says, I'm not certain if he should be praised or condemned, only that he should be left alone. It's yeah. like, Look, 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 I'm sorry if you're, you know, really upset or really angry and you kill any number of a billion people. I don't even care if it's one billion people. You should be condemned, folks. (laughs) uh, I mean, it's not like 50 billion. Jesus Christ. Like, where does Picard start the counting? (laughs) Well, and there's also when when I'm on board. I just want to know I'm I'm on board for uh, being anti-genocide. Okay, that's very bold stand of yours. I know it's hard to believe. I really, I really, I, I'm sorry. I'm on the soapbox, but uh, I'm against genocide. <laughs> and Picard also has that line: "says We're not qualified to be your judges. We have no law to fit your crime." And yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, you had a bunch of them, pal. 
you you froze Khan's ass and stuck him in a ship because he was right. even suggesting he would do this stuff. And and you're like genocide, genocide. That's what I say. That part cracks me up because it's kind of like, wow. We, listen, look at this. We've never seen anybody kill so many people. I I have no idea how to deal with it. Okay, freebie. I do also yeah, have to I'm say, you know, it. another weird thing about this episode that kind of got to me, and maybe it's just me because they got to give these actors something to do. But at some point okay. on the bridge, like everyone's got a sensor reading, like Data, Worf, Wes, right. and even Jordy. Like Jordy's at the bridge in his engineering station when when the Uxbridge's house reappears, and it comes up on his display. And I'm like, <laughs> who the hell's in charge of the sets? Is everyone? Is it a group project? I know. It's funny because on all these shows where they're looking at things, you know, I I, I think it's hard for them to imagine the detail to that sometimes, and. And we've seen a bunch of background characters do, doing funny things, you know, where they're pushing buttons, you know, thoughtlessly or getting stuck on things or kind of standing there in the hall because they, you know, they didn't time their button pushing right or something. And so when you when you have it on camera like this, it's 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 funny because I don't think they they're not really thinking about. No, it. they're just thinking that, you know, majority needs something to say or Worf needs something right. to say. It would have been great if they would have had some guy come in with a push broom. And be like, hey, Captain, uh, you know, my broom just picked up. I think those Uxbridges are back. You might want to go down there and check that out. Just, uh, okay, I'm going to go back to sweeping out the uh, the holo suites. All right, see you later. Holodeck, got to sweep that out. Yeah. Commander Riker was in there last <laughs> night. Whee! I got my hands full, you know what I mean? It'd be funny if they cut to the bridge, like like as if they cut in a, at the wrong time, and there's a whole crew in there vacuuming everything. <laughs> And Picard's got his earphones on. He's vacuuming the walls like, because of the carpeting on right. the wall. <laughs> yeah, they're all over the thing. They're upside down on the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. You missed a spot. Yeah. Excuse me, Mr. Barkley. You missed a spot up there. Captain, Captain, this is uh, Morty down at the uh, mess hall here. And I just wanted you to know that the Uxbridge house is back. It came up. I was getting a roast beef ready for you for, for lunch. And I noticed, you know, right next to the horseradish is the sensor. And the sensor says, oh, here come the X-Bridges. So I just thought it's coming up on everything. (laughs) It's funny that it pops up on all those things because it's so often we've mentioned that that people all over that enterprise that aren't the bridge crew probably don't know what the hell is going on. I mean, Captain sometimes, you know, has a has a shipwide call that comes out. But oftentimes they're racing around and, you know, Harry and his dad are down there going like, Dad, what's happening now? I don't get it. Hi, Captain McCart. This is Harry. Uh, my carved dolphin just told me that the Uxbridge house is back. Okay, got to go do some calculus. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, the dolphins are back. Harry, your dolphins are back. Uh, the Uxbridge house is back. Captain Picard, it's me, uh, uh, John Whitehead, down in Deck 22 Petco. That last thing you did where you accelerated a warp nine, <laughs> I, I, I can't tell you. We had to put all the goddamn puppies to sleep. Oh, no, they no, went nuts. no, no. They were running around like crazy. They're all dead, Captain. I'm sorry. That's horrible. What's wrong with you? Uh, Yeah, Captain, this is uh, Horace over here in uh, weapons control. It seems those puppies got into the photon torpedoes. And the last uh, couple of volleys, I mean, we're not shooting photon torpedoes, Captain. We've been shooting puppies at these Hoosnock. 
<laughs> Hasn't been working too well, I got to tell you. And some of the uh, crew were very upset, Captain. Very, very, very upset. I wondered why they exploded like that. Did oh, you see that gosh. one? You know, <laughs> I don't think we have any any law to judge the crime of this particular plot, except we do. We'll, we'll be judging it, uh, you know, in 20 20- Two more episodes, probably. You know, I got to tell you though, I, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna stick with the fact that I like the episode. I'm frustrated by the episode. I'm angry about the episode. You know, but I can care about flawed things, Dave. I have enough space in my heart for that too. I, you know, I'm frustrated as shit about these entities. I just, I can't get over why we keep coming back to them. I, I still think this was an interesting episode that had things to say about entities. And and the nice thing was that Rashawn's hair was not shellacked into place <laughs> like Annie. And and, and don't forget because I, I know everybody was on the edge of their seat wondering what happens to Troy. The entity is the one that puts this song into Troy's head. Oh, that's right. The yeah. one that you heard from before. Once he's revealed as the entity and re- reveals his crimes, the saving grace is that he goes and removes this jingle out of Troy's poor head. I wish he would have rickrolled her. It would have been better. It's like, you know, <laughs> never going to give you up. Never going to turn around and desert, and you, desert number, you, Troy. Never going to make you cry. Oh, next time we have a little. Oh, what's up next? next? time we have a little gem called Who Watches the Watchers. Another oh exciting God. episode. I got to tell you, season three is, uh, you know, this was not the greatest episode, even though it had a lot that I still enjoyed. Sure. Uh, Who Watches the Watchers also has some really good stuff in it. I I think we're in a good season right now. Yeah, I'm excited to see what is in store next. I don't I don't know what this next episode is, but I'm I'm happy to embrace it. I've got my um, um, my my Star Trek hug hands. They're they're wrapped up in plastic, but they're ready to give a nice covid hug to episode four. Yes, I have my safe medical tongs ready to clamp onto the episode with steely affection. So, dear listeners, thank you once again for spending any part of your life with us as we went rambling on. And if you are thinking to yourself, self, what am I going to do now? Well, you can always go to our delightful website, TNGs.com. That's T-N-G-E-E-Z, or Z, as they say across the pond, dot com, where all our episodes from season one, season two, our movie specials, our bonus episodes, our incredible best of worst of shows. They're all available for you, the listener, for free. It's free. It's free. Also, links to all of our uh, social media nonsense. You can you can go there. Yeah. So if you're interested in sporadic outbursts of social media (laughs) about Star Trek. Yes. So next time we have who watches the watchers. And until then, I am Ambassador Andrew. And with me, as always, Commander Dave E. Dave. And that's all for now. Thank you. Let's go mind the store. The love boat soon will be making another Set a course for adventure. Your mind's on a new romance, number one. Captain Picard, I respectfully request a transfer to the Pacific Princess. It's an open port. Is that how it goes? <laughs> open what? On a friendly I'm shore. Meet, I'm going to meet Celia on the Lido deck. I hope I recognize <laughs> what shape she shifted into. 
<laughs> Let's hope she's that sparkling thing and not the flipping bear. <laughs> oh, Kevin. Poor, poor Kevin. I certainly hope he gets his galactic shit together and come to terms with killing billions and billions of Hoosnock. But anyway, want to know what a galactic duck blind is? We'll find out in Season 3 of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast, Episode 4, Who Watches the Watchers? So Riker's like, belief is going to become a religion. Baron's like, yes, religion's going to become inquisitions and holy wars and chaos. And Picard's like, ugh. That sounds pretty bad. Speaking of watching, watch how Picard demands. Just like a measly... 4%, and Picard's like, I want that 4%. Listen, I need that 4%. Cling on. If you like episodes about the Prime Directive, this is the episode for you. Knocks his head. Exactly. Beverly sees this and goes like, holy crap, we just potentially killed somebody that might uh, butterfly effect evolve into somebody very important in the future, like 10,000 years from now. And Picard's response is, why didn't you let him die, Bev? He's French. He's British. But did you also know he's a deity? He sees Picard and he looks kind of angelic or godlike. There's like kind of like a gauzy, misty. In this episode, you'll learn that seeing a god really screws up your brain, especially if that brain isn't all that evolved. Have you seen these proto-Vulcans? It's not that you wouldn't... I, I mean, I would come unglued if I saw your Riker turn into a Q god or something. I might lose my shit, but I wouldn't start to lose my ability to formulate sentences. The boys talk about their favorite subject, chest hair. I mean, God, you're, you're like being all like, well, we're from space, we're all civilized, you can't manscape that thing. It's like a big old ferret in his shirt. Exactly. He's like, Riker, not all of you has evolved. And if that's not enough, watch Riker drop Troy like a hot deuce. Him leaving her and going back up on the ship. I understand that that's like Starfleet business, but he is not worried for a moment about what's going on with her. And this might surprise you, but nerds. Oh, my God. And it's You know, they're nerds. <laughs> this whole show is like nerd fest. All of this and somehow more in the next episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Why the fuck did you do that, man?